Ida B. Wells was a fearless journalist, an advocate for women's right to vote, and a very early civil rights leader. She was born in 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi, and raised a devout Christian. When she was 16 and visiting her grandmother, she found out that her parents and infant brother had died of yellow fever, which left her and her five siblings as orphans. After the funeral, those close to the family decided that the siblings ought to be split up and sent to different foster homes. But Ida couldn't bear that thought. She got a job at a black elementary school so that she could support them and keep them all home together. Her grandmother watched her siblings while she worked. Ida was dismayed that white teachers were paid $80 a month and she was paid only $30 a month. In 1883, she moved to Memphis with several of her siblings where she found the wages were higher. During the summer, she took college classes. On May 4, 1884, she was riding in the first-class section of the Memphis and Charleston Railroad when a train conductor ordered her to give up her seat for a white lady. He ordered her to move to the smoking car, which was overcrowded, even though she had purchased a first-class ticket for herself. Ida would not give up her seat in 1884, and the conductor and two men dragged her from the car. Ida would not be silenced. She wrote about her mistreatment in a newspaper called The Living Way, and she hired an African-American attorney to sue the railroad, but the railroad paid him off. And so she hired a white attorney, and he actually won her case on December 24, 1884, along with $500 in damages, no small amount at that time. This decision was appealed to the Tennessee Supreme Court, and the ruling was reversed. Ida was forced to return the money and to pay court costs. When she thought back about that moment, she said, I felt so disappointed because I had hoped such great things from my suit for my people. Oh God, is there no justice in this land for us? Now most of us can relate to this nagging desire for justice, for things to be better, for us to be better. We want to know what to do, how we can do it, and we want to be sure that we can succeed because one more failure can be too much. Really, this can apply to any aspect of our faith, our commitment to seek justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, to pray more, to give more, to study scripture more faithfully, to read more, to reach out to our neighbors, to care for ourselves, to find clarity in our faith, to serve the community. Taken all at once, it can be pretty overwhelming. But even one factor at a time, we can find ourselves stalled out we just get stuck, and we don't know how to get to the other side. In our lesson from Joshua this morning, Moses has just died, and he's been a leader like no other. In fact, Exodus 33 verse 11 tells us that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Talk about a special relationship with God. He's been a part of countless miracles, made so many beautiful speeches, and interceded for the people time and again. 
God has appointed Joshua to be Moses' successor, and sure, he's been Moses' assistant, but who is this new guy anyway? Would he be able to cut it, or would the people be lost without Moses after 40 years of wandering in the desert? The people have come to the Jordan River, and they can see the promised land, the land they've been yearning for for so many years. But the Jordan overflowed its banks, and it seems impassable and impossible. God told Joshua to cross the river and come into the promised land on the other side. God told Joshua to tell the priests to march across the river, and as soon as their feet touched the water, it parted. Just like the Red Sea had done for Moses, it made two great walls on either side of the priests and the people. And the priests stayed in the center until every single one of them could cross over and begin their new life together in the Promised Land. Joshua is thought to have lived around 1300 BC, and let's fast forward to Elijah and Elisha sometime in the 800s. We're going very quickly in time here. Elisha is the assistant of Elijah, and I'm going to try to pronounce those very carefully so you know which one I'm talking about. Elijah was a mighty prophet and a miracle worker in the northern kingdom of Israel. The king of Israel at that time had built a temple for Baal, and he persecuted the priests of Israel. Elijah won a challenge against the priests of Baal by asking God to bring down fire from the sky. Among his other miracles, he raised the dead, he prophesied to the people he was ministered to by an angel, and as you can see from our scripture this morning, he didn't die a mortal death but he was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. With Elijah going, the people would still need a leader, a prophet. Those in power are still corrupt and fighting against God's way. Can Elisha be the one to follow? God called Elisha, and he was an assistant to Elijah for eight years at this point. So he had seen many of Elijah's miracles. Even that day by the Jordan River, Elijah had touched the water with his mantle and it parted for them so that they could cross over. The impassable made possible, but this time almost casually. Elijah asks him what he can do before he is taken up. And all Elisha wants is to be a good and faithful servant, following God as Elijah has taught him to. But Elijah can't guarantee a double portion of his spirit because that is for God to decide. But he says, if he sees Elijah taken up, it will be granted him. And so he does. He witnesses this awesome miracle from a whirlwind up to heaven, that chariot swinging low, if you ever wondered where that song comes from. And Elisha mourns his great teacher. He cries out for God and strikes the water of the Jordan once more. And it parts for him. And he goes on to purify the water in Jericho so that it is healing and drinkable once more. 
And this leads us to John the Baptist and to Jesus some 800 years after that. John the Baptist has been living in the wilderness. We talk about him a lot during Advent. In his day, ritual washing and immersion were already practiced. It wasn't a new thing that he came up with, but it was focused on purity. And so you might go and be immersed before a religious holiday, before making a sacrifice in the temple, before marriage, or even when you converted. It was a final step before a major event that required great spiritual work leading up to it. But it was not at all a one-time thing. John the Baptist proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, not because the people should just go on sinning and be unchanged, but because he wanted to emphasize the importance of a changed heart and a changed life when one is dedicated to God. And people came out in droves to see him. He had his own disciples and gawkers and detractors from everywhere. And he was a wild man, like the prophets of old, like our friend Elijah. In the book of Malachi, we find a prophecy that Elijah would return before the coming of the Lord. See, each of our lessons this morning are thought to take place at the exact same spot on the Jordan River, the one displayed on your cover of your bulletin. Joshua and the people, Elijah and Elisha, John and Jesus. And I do not believe that that's an accident at all. Because each of these stories gets at our constant gnawing questions. Will God provide the leader that the people need? Can we really get past this obstacle? Is God still with us? All of those times that the Jordan River was parted to show God's care and concern, God's love and protection of the people. And then Jesus enters the river fully immersed. In being baptized, Jesus flipped the script Jesus changed baptism. And the heavens are torn open, and the Spirit comes down upon him like a dove, saying, You are my Son, whom I dearly love. With you, I am well pleased. When we follow Jesus, when we answer the call to be baptized, we are putting our lives in Jesus' hands. We see his life and death, his body and spirit blessing the waters of the earth and offering them to us. We see in the past that the Jordan River had been an obstacle from the promised land, from the changing of leadership, from helping sick and thirsty people. And each time God miraculously parted the waters to make way for leaders and prophets. But now in Jesus, this place of miracle is remade. Jesus is within and around and above the waters, just as he is in all of our lives and all of our hearts. And so whatever you fear is blocking your spiritual path, no matter how, no matter how massive and immovable, 
God has already parted it. Jesus has already lived it. The Spirit has already made a way. It is our calling to walk, trusting that the claim that Christ has on us will carry us through, come what may. After all, Joshua was mighty in battle. Elisha was a miracle worker in his own right, and Ida Wells went on to become an investigative journalist documenting the horrors of lynching and combating its practice. Each one faced impossible circumstances that no one thought could change, and each one was led forward by God. And so, my friends, remember your baptism. Remember that you are forever joined to Jesus Christ, and that final river that we will cross will be the river of life that flows from the throne of God. We need never fear the rivers of this life, for we are held fast now and always. May we see the holy in everything we do until we are all reunited in heaven. Amen.